Hi there, and welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today is part three of our three-part series with Tad Hussey of Keep It Simple Organics. Keep It Simple is an edible nursery, production greenhouse, outdoor preschool, organic hydro shop, and feed store in Washington State. Tad is an educator and sought-after speaker on probiotic growing. During the first two parts of the series, we talked about wild-crafting probiotics for nutrient teas and building soil. Today, we're going to talk about compost teas. Welcome back to the show, Tad. Thanks for having me, Shango. So I, I know I sound strange this week. I uh, contracted a respiratory infection flying down to L.A. for the Cannabis Entrepreneur Summit last weekend, and I'm running a fever, man. So, so if I pass out, you can just finish the show as a lecture, all right? <laughs> all right. I appreciate you doing this. Right on. So, so, you know, this show brings us full circle, right? Because you may recall that, you know, you know this three-part series started when you and I were talking, and I realized that I didn't understand the difference between nutrient teas and compost teas because I thought they were the same thing. And so we decided to break up probiotic growing into three shows so that everyone could get up to speed on how to grow using less store-bought nutrients. So, so let's start from where you and I started. Would you share the difference between nutrient teas and compost teas, which is what we're talking about today? Yeah, and just to uh, make the definition a little bit easier. Specifically, I want to focus today on aerated compost teas, where we're we're purposely adding oxygen to select for beneficial aerobic microorganisms, ones that want high um, oxygen conditions to survive. So, I, th- when we talk about nutrient teas, we're specifically talking about extracting nutrients out of plant matter or out of compost. Um, what's leaching out the bottom of a compost pile, for example, uh, would be considered a, a nutrient application. Whereas when we're making aerated compost teas, we are specifically adding beneficial microorganisms with the purpose of increasing our microbial activity and overall nutrient cycling. So is there a particular microbe that we're going for, or is this an entire spectrum of microbes that we're allowing that to, to evolve? That's a great question. So. When we make aerated compost tea, it's a shotgun approach. What we're really looking to do here is uh, put out as many beneficial microorganisms as we can and really let the plant be in control. Because the plant is constantly uh, photosynthesizing, bringing in energy, and it's putting anywhere from 30 to 70% of that energy back out through its root system, specifically to feed the microbes in the soil. So by having more of these beneficial microbes in the soil, we're going to increase that nutrient cycling process and help our plant be healthier. I want to drill on that because I, I actually never even considered that. Are, is, is what you said that the, the plant is actually uh, putting out nutrients out its root system to feed the microbes? Is that what you said? Yeah. So they're called root exudates. So it's, uh, they're putting out things like sugars, carbons, uh, basic carbohydrates right out into the root system as a way of feeding the microbes. So if the plant needs more nitrogen, for example, it will select exudates that will uh, cycle nutrients, select bacteria, for example, that will help produce nitrogen in the form that the plant wants. So 
uh, when we're putting out miracle Grow or other chemical nutrients, we're actually uh, killing off and damaging this process. So that's why it's so important when we're, uh, when we're fertilizing to use organic fertilizer and really um, promote uh, the health of the microbial communities in the rhizosphere. That's really interesting. So I can imagine that if you're, if you're not feeding your microbe community properly, you're actually could be starting to starve the plant because the plant's going to continue to try to feed the microbe community and your plant will just be thriving less. So if you're feeding the microbe community and the plant has to do less, it can focus more on thriving itself. Is that a, a good explanation? Yeah, it's a really important distinction to realize that when we are putting out organic fertilizers, uh, whether they're bottled nutrients or any sort of product like alfalfa meal, for example, we're not actually feeding the plant. We're feeding all these microbes in the soil that are then cycling the nutrients and making the plants available. Whereas when we put out uh, mineral salt or you know fertilizer in an ionic form, we're directly feeding the plant. So. Uh, really, really important that we have these microbes in place uh, in order to make the nutrients available. Right on. So let's dive right into the recipe because, you know, I'm, I'm sure that will tease out a lot more after that. But, but why don't you go ahead and explain for folks how to make their compost, aerated compost teas at home, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take it apart afterwards. Sure. So you can do this as simply or as scientifically as you want. Um, if you're looking for the simplest recipe, uh, Tim Wilson has a real simple stir method you can read about on his website at microborganics.com. Uh, if you want to actually get into it, there's a bunch of uh, other recommendations from him that are really good in terms of the amount of oxygen, for example, that you need to put into your brewer in order to maintain dissolved oxygen levels uh, at, at adequate um, points for the proper uh, aerobic microorganisms. So um, assuming that you have a brewer already that uh, will do these sorts of things, you know, maintain your oxygen levels above uh, six parts per million for the entire brew cycle, then you can start looking at recipes for maximizing the quality of your compost tea. Um, again, Tim recommends about 2.3% by volume of compost, which works out to uh, about a, a cup and a half to two cups of uh, compost in a five-gallon brewer, for example. And then to that, you can add some unsulfured blackstrap molasses, which is really easy to find. Uh, most local feed stores will have it, or if you need to, you can always go to like a Whole Foods or grocery store to pick that up. You know, adding about one and a quarter to uh, one and three quarters tablespoons per gallon of water of the molasses. And then you can also add in um, some fish hydrolysate, for example, or alfalfa meal. There's a bunch of different things you can put into your teas. So, so Tad, what is a, a compost brewer? I thought that, that compost was just made in like a five-gallon bucket with a bubbler in it. That's essentially what a compost tea brewer is. Uh, what we're doing there is we're trying to raise dissolved oxygen levels in the water and maintain them through the entire brewing cycle. And then those uh, bubbles or a diffuser are necessary in order to strip the microorganisms off of the compost or soil particulate out into the water where they'll, where they'll start reproducing. So the three things you really need is uh, a brewer and then you need a good quality source of beneficial microorganisms, which in this case would be use a finished compost. And then lastly, you need to add a food source for those microbes which would be uh, any of the things we discussed, like unsulfured molasses, fish hydrolysate, 
Um, our company makes a product called Microbe Catalyst. There's a ton of different things out there that you can use to feed those microbes. So, so we'll talk in a little while about scalability for people who are using this at a commercial level. But for right now, since we're talking about the basics, um, you know, if somebody is at home and they don't want to purchase a brewer, um, could they go ultra simple and just throw the the compost, the water, the and and the nutrient food for the microbes and an aquarium bubbler in a five gallon and just brew it that way, or do you really need um, something store bought that will control the levels for you? Well. If you're buying something store-bought, what you should be paying for is that they've done this level of testing for you. Mm -hmm. They should be able to tell you at various temperatures, elevation, uh, food stocks, and compost, uh, how long you would need to brew or uh, any other variables there. So that's what, that's what you should ask for is some direct microscopy or lab tests to support whatever company um, is selling a brewer because there's a lot of people out there that haven't done any of that mm -hmm. testing um, and just throw, a, throw an aquarium pump in a bucket and call it a compost tea brewer. Now, the one thing to consider with all that is you need 0.05 to 0.08 CFM per gallon of water uh, as a general rule. Again, this is from Tim Wilson. He's done um, some of the best research uh, here in North America on compost teas. And uh, that's really important. So those average aquarium bubblers that you pick up, say, down at the pet store are not going to be pushing enough oxygen in general to make up five gallons. So you're much better off uh, if you do have one of those bubblers, for example, and want, and want to use it and make your own tea, make, make a half gallon of tea and then add that to four and a half gallons of water after you're finished, making sure that the water is dechlorinated and then apply that to your plants rather than trying to brew five gallons with a really small bubbler. Right on. So I would think that the way to look at it is, okay, so, so since we want to use compost teas to get us off of bottled and synthetic nutrients that can be purchased, um, we should look at it as, okay, you're going to, you're going to, you know, shoulder this expense to buy this brewer, um, but you're going to be saving all this money on store-bought nutrients. So even though you got to go out of pocket a little bit, it, you're going out of pocket for something that's going to save you a ton of money. Potentially, yes. Though, keep in mind, you don't have to buy a commercial brewer. Those are just the guidelines I like to set when people do consider buying a brewer oh, okay. to make sure they're not getting uh, ripped off. Right on. So, so I guess there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a range. You know, you you could just do it um, in a five gallon bucket, and you're, you're and you could also buy one at the store, but your mileage may vary. <laughs> Sure, exactly. And we have, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. We have some people that will, you know, stir, do the stir method in a bucket and apply it to their plants and are totally happy. Uh, we have other commercial applicators that literally have a microscope that they take around on site and check the tea right before they apply it to make sure that it's at the highest uh, levels of microbial activity and biomass. So uh, really, you can do it any way you want. Uh, we just the big thing there is that you want to select for aerobic microorganisms in this case so that we really keep those oxygen levels high if we're adding a food source. If you do the stir method where you're literally just putting compost into a bucket, stirring it over the, over the course of a period of time, and then watering it in, it's not as much of an issue. Right on. Cool. Um, we're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. The Gontrepreneur Podcast is listened to by tens of thousands of cannabis entrepreneurs and enthusiasts every single week. These folks are most likely your target customers, and we'd like to introduce you to each other. 
our down-to-earth and information-rich commercial breaks can deliver your message to the cannabis business community and others who just find relief in getting high. If you want to reach out and connect with our audience in the most personal way that we can offer, go ahead and drop us an email at grow at and we can talk about you becoming a commercial sponsor of the podcast. Thanks for listening and being part of the Gonchpreneur family. Now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gonchpreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Tad Hussey of Keep It Simple Organics. So, Tad, right before the break, we were talking about store-bought store brewers um, versus just using a five-gallon bucket. And, you know, I was caught off guard because I thought that most everybody at home was just using a five-gallon bucket because that's what, actually what I've seen most often. You know, what's a, what's a typical price point for an at-home brewer? And I, I don't mean like a big commercial one, but, you know, just something that... That a that a you know a patient or a medical marijuana patient would be using. Sure, for for a commercial brewer, for example, from our company, you're looking at uh, three hundred dollars for our five gallon brewer, and then the fifty gallon brewer that we carry is actually made by Tim Wilson, um, and that one runs six hundred dollars with free shipping. But uh, <clears throat> really, there what what you need to consider is the cost per brew after that point, um, and think about how you're going to get the material for that. Ideally, you're making your own earthworm castings and compost and then putting that into the brewer with some molasses or uh, companies like mine also sell packs that range in cost anywhere from a few dollars to you know $10 on up for per brew once you have the brewer in place. Uh, in terms of free brewers, there's a design by Oregon State available on the, on the web and then also I think on IC Meg in the Organic Soil Forum, there's a whole thread on a five-gallon airlift brewer that is a solid design, too, if you're mechanically inclined and want to make your own brewer. I like that idea. That gives people a good option. So, you know, if you if you want if you want commercial and easy, you can throw down some ducats. And if you've got some DIY spirit and you like hanging out at Home Depot, you know, pull up some plans and make your own. Yeah, that sounds good. So, um, you know, can can the tea be overbrewed? I mean, I've seen some people kind of brew forever. And uh, I remember you, when you spoke at uh, Canacon in Seattle over the winter that you were suggesting that that's not, that forever brew isn't really the best way to go. Can you kind of break that out a little bit? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question, Shango. So when I talk about perpetual brewing, what I'm talking about is making a compost tea and then letting it go for you know a few days to a week or however long, just pulling out tea as you want and uh, maybe adding more compost or more water over time. This sounds like a wonderful idea, um, but what we find is that really 24 to 36 hours under most conditions is the optimal amount of time to brew because we're trying to maximize our microbial diversity. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. It'd be like, for example, if you went to the zoo and opened up all the, all the gates and let all the animals out, uh, after, you know, let's say a week, you'd probably only just have some lions and some <laughs> rats left, like everything else would be gone. So what we find is when you brew for three days, four days or on, or on and on, what you end up with is, uh, the fungal hyphae pretty much goes away. Usually you'll see one morphology of bacteria. That's a, just the shape of bacteria. So you'll see one species that's really thriving and everything else disappears. And then you'll see one species of flagellate that will survive and everything else disappears. And then it just becomes a roller coaster. So the flagellates lead all the bacteria. Once that food source goes away, you have a ton of flagellates that die off and then the bacteria blooms again. And this just goes back and forth. Now, 
that tea could still have some plant benefit, but it, it really isn't the purpose of why we make compost tea. You know, and for that same reason, that's why you can't throw it in the fridge. It doesn't have a shelf life after it's done. Once you brew it, you really need to apply it within a few hours. Um, I like to keep the motor running right up until I put the tea out into my garden. Um, and if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense too because we just created all these microorganisms, literally an unsustainable amount of life and diversity that we're then taking away its oxygen. So things are going to start dying right away. And throwing in the fridge, uh, you're creating the same problem. You're taking away the oxygen and you may be slowing down that process a little bit, but you're not going to have the same quality of tea, uh, you know, two days, two, three days down the road. Yeah, right on. That makes a lot of sense. You want to, you kind of want to hit the bell curve, right? You don't really want to get to the point where it's survival of the fittest. You want to, you want to brew it up so that you've got all these microorganisms and then go ahead and apply it before they start fighting it out amongst themselves. I get that. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of myths about compost tea and I hear, you know, from different uh, growers, you know, some of the, some of the things, things they tell me directly compete and, and I'm like, you know, they can't both be right, but I don't know which one is. So, so what are the, some of the myths that you have heard running rampant that, that, um, that you can add some clarity to? Sure. Uh, there's a few things I want to touch on. Um, number one, one question I get a lot, and I wouldn't necessarily throw this into the myth category, but I think it's important. Uh, people read Jeff Lowenfeld's book, Teeming with Microbes, which is a great book about all, the, all of these sorts of things. And they see that the plants that they're growing, uh, in this case, we're talking specifically about cannabis, fall into uh, an area where they, they're you know, earlier succession plants. They're, they're typically considered annuals, and they prefer soil that is high in bacteria over soil that's high in, uh, in fungal activity. Uh, so, they tr so people call me up and say they want to make a bacterial tea because their plant likes bacterial soil. But that, that sort of misses the purpose with compost tea. Again, this is a shotgun approach. So no matter what you're growing, whether you're growing you know, trees or you're growing, uh, you're growing vegetables, you still want to put out a balanced tea that has all these microorganisms. Because again, the main point of compost tea is really nutrient cycling. So we're really putting the plant in charge. We're not trying to select uh, for bacteria necessarily. We just want to select for all, all sets of microorganisms. So that's just the first thing I wanted to bring up really quickly. Um, in terms of other myths, some of the things we hear is a lot of people think that having a big head of foam on the top of their compost tea brew uh, shows that there's a lot of microbial activity. And what we find when we actually look at it under the microscope is that this isn't necessarily the case, that uh, these brews really, uh, the foaming has more to do with saponin content or possibly um, some, an enzyme being released by earthworms that may have been in the compost that you put into the brewer. Mm. Uh, another one I like to uh, I like to bring up too is that there's some claims around different brewer designs. When people talk about using, say, a brewer like a vortex brewer that spins the water in a certain direction to supposedly raise the potency or quality of the of the water or the tea, uh, this is something where we when we again when we look at it under the microscope we don't see any scientific evidence to back this up. Um, vortex designs work great, but may not be worth the added. Uh, cost or expense in terms of what people are charging to commercially produce these these types of brewers. Right. So right on. Good. Is that, is that the complete list of myths before we move on? I want to make. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's others that are. are uh, 
Oh, um, there is one more that I just thought of. Uh, and I want to give credit to Tim Wilson for a lot of this. He really challenged me uh, when I first started really examining and using the microscope. He was the one to start saying, hey, these are things that everyone's been saying in the industry, but are they actually true? So, uh, for example, we've been using humic acid in our compost teas because uh, a well-known uh, professional figure in the industry had been saying they were a great fungal food. But when we actually started testing this out with a bunch of different samples and different come from different companies and different uh, concentrations, we found it actually inhibited microbial activity in most instances. So uh, that's another one. I don't like to put humic acid into my teas. I think it has other benefits, but not necessarily in a compost tea. Uh, so these are all things that we're learning. Like recently, we were speculating on whether or not neem cake was something that would uh, kill microbes. So this was something I was able to test out with my microscope and then you know, post the results on YouTube and actually show that neem cake, uh, which we used, I think I talked about it before, is something you can use to treat fungus gnats or as a nitrogen source in your soil. We found it act I found it actually uh, was a wonderful bacterial food and is something that increases microbial activity rather than inhibits it. Right on. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. So um, we're going to take another short break. When we come back, though, for the last section, we're going to talk about um, the quality of compost needed to make good teas. And then we've got a lot of commercial growers who are listening. So we're going to talk about scalable compost teas so that you can help get your uh, your company off the bottle as well. Um, you are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. As a cannabis entrepreneur, you know how challenging recruiting quality talent can be. Your day's already busy enough, and yet there is an ever-growing pile of resumes on your desk, and your team is begging you to hire more help. Hiring the right person can make a profound impact on your company. There's no reason that you have to suddenly be an expert hiring manager. Not when there is Viridian Staffing. Viridian Staffing recruits solely for adult-use cannabis, medical marijuana, and hemp companies and those that service them. Viridian Staffing's recruiters each have over 10 years of experience, and they will use that experience to recruit the kind of employees that will make you look good. Whether you're looking for a master grower, extractor, grow room support, or trimming, Viridian can find an appropriate person in your area. They can even recruit administrative or graphic design professionals who may not need cannabis experience. Because you are a startup, you may also need human resources help for a while. Viridian Staffing can make sure that your HR files are complete and keep you out of trouble with state and federal employment requirements. Because the cannabis industry is booming, cannabis recruiting companies are popping up all over the country. But good marketing does not mean good recruiting. Some of the recruiting shops that have opened are run by novices who do not yet have a thorough understanding of employment law and the complexities of hiring for cannabis. Don't hire an amateur to find you a professional. Consider Viridian Staffing to make that stack of resumes disappear and complete your team with exactly the hire you are hoping for. You can find out more at viridianstaffing.com. That's V-I-R-I-D-I-A-N staffing.com. And now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Tad Hussey of Keep It Simple Organics. So, Tad, before the break, we were talking about um, 
you know, the foam that sometimes can come on the top of a compost tea. And you said that in some cases it's because uh, earthworms are, uh, are coming in with the castings and, you know, a couple other things. So, so it made me wonder about the quality of compost that needs to be used. I mean, is it as simple as if you use um, lame, unfinished compost that, that the brew isn't going to work? Or, or does even mediocre compost uh, work? How, how, how careful do we need to be about the compost we choose? Sure, that's a great question. So the first thing I would want to say is that not all compost is created equal. And like you mentioned there, some compost is unfinished. Uh, if it's been something that's been made and then sat in a, in a bag on a shelf for, you know, who knows who long, how long or out baking in the sun on a pallet out in front of a hydro shop, uh, it's really hard to know what sort of microbes are going to be active uh, prior to your brewing. And uh, there's a huge difference in quality. So really important that you start with a high quality compost because if you're going to take the time and labor to make this tea, you want to make it to the, to the best ability that you can. If you want to use your own compost, that's a great option. Just uh, keep in mind that if you're not doing any testing with a microscope, you really don't know what what you're making, and you'll just want to judge it based on uh, earthworm castings or or worm worm composting is really the best option for people who don't plan on using a microscope or don't plan on uh, buying compost that's been lab tested. In general, it tends to be of higher quality than most thermally made or commercial composts. And uh, the last thing I would add about compost is just that if you are making it, keep in mind that the food stocks that you're putting in are going to affect the quality of your compost. Um, horse manure is actually a great amendment. Um, food and vegetable scraps and cardboard tend to not be uh, quite as of high quality as, say, if you were to take a finished compost and put earthworm castings into it or take um, horse manure and properly compost it. Um, these are going to give you more microbial activity. Well, all right. Well, then let, let's let's contrast that to the compost tea kits. Um, I know your company makes one, and, and we've given that out as uh, door prizes at the uh, Vashon Island Marijuana Entrepreneurs Alliance meetings, and and I've seen other of them on the market. So, how does a a, a kit? Do, uh, how is it different than making your compost at home? Is it going to be as effective? Well, it should be. In theory, what you're paying for is that whoever's making these kits has done some some of this testing for you and and knows that the microbes that they're that they're giving you are going to be active and reproduce well when put into a brewer. So, like for example, with our company, we don't make up the kits until uh, we actually sell and ship them, uh, just so we can maintain the highest quality and the freshest ingredients. Because you have to maintain moisture content to keep these microbes alive, and. One thing I forgot to mention is the reason we're using compost is because compost is exponentially higher in microbes and micro, microbial activity than our average garden soil. So that's why we're, we're, always, we're constantly talking about compost here in this case regarding our uh, making our compost teas. All right. So while we're talking about the benefits, let's dwell on that a little bit more. So we, we were talking about in the first section, we were talking about how if you are if you are providing an active um, microbial environment in the substrate for the plant, that that's less work that the plant has to do by providing uh, sugars and other nutrients through the roots to the microbe system. So so for brewing this fresh. Um, 
this fresh tea and we're pouring it in and we're adding all of this uh, beneficial life for the plant, how will we see that expressed in our plant? Because, you know, uh, you know, there is a certain amount of effort and money that it takes to make uh, compost teas. What's the reward look like in the cannabis plant itself? Yeah, I think there's a ton of different benefits related to compost tea. But the biggest one and the thing I like to stress the most is nutrient cycling. So essentially what you talked about there. So by increasing the efficiency of nutrient cycling in the soil, we're just helping the plant be less stressed and grow uh, faster and uh, healthier. And because of this, we're also seeing um, less issues with diseases. Now, I don't, I don't like to claim disease suppression relating to compost teas, though I know some people do. But the concept is that if we're spraying compost tea out onto the soil or, say, onto the leaf surface of the plant, those beneficial aerobic microorganisms are going to occupy the infection sites on the leaf or around the root and help prevent pathogens from getting a hold. So potentially, you could be reducing your uh, disease problems. And I... I've heard people tell me that they used uh, compost tea to treat anything from fusarium to powdered mildew to pythium and a variety of other things. But I don't, I don't think it's a silver bolt in that regard, so just keep that in mind, but it may help. Um, it should help extend your root systems. It'll help break down some of the toxins in the soil. Uh, you should see an increase in, in terms of the um, odors and flavors of your, whatever crop you're growing. And it should reduce uh, potentially the amount of fertilizers and, and other things that you may be using um, in, your, in your growing process. Should we see an increase in the, in the quality and number and size of flowers as well, simply because the plant is thriving and expressing itself so much better? You could. I, I don't like to say 100% of the time on something like this because keep in mind that every brew that you make is going to be slightly different and every soil that you apply it to is going to be different with different environmental conditions. So uh, you may see amazing results or it may be something much more subtle. But the great thing about it is you can't over apply compost tea if it's made correctly. It's 100% safe. It's non-toxic. It's natural. It's, um, it's a great option as a way to help plants without a lot of, uh, a lot of risk or downside other than maybe the cost or your labor involved. I like the idea that you can't over apply it. Um, I've heard from plenty of growers where they have uh, forgotten where they were in their fertilizer um, regimen, or they got high and they did it twice, or they did it <laughs> and then another their employee did it. You know, you know, th these can cause problems. You can you know burn your plant in various ways. But the idea that 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 there is not too much. It sounds like a nice natural probiotic built-in safety valve to help protect your garden. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get a little bit of nutrients, but really the main point, again, is this nutrient cycling. And the worst case uh, is you're probably overwatering your plants, potentially. <laughs> right on. So so let's, let's wrap up by talking about commercial applications because, you know, we've got lots of patients who are listening who, who are hopefully are getting more excited about using compost teas, but we've got a lot of folks who are commercial growers. And, and they, you know, most of the states are trying to move people away from synthetic nutrients 
nutrients and fertilizers of all flavors. And, and there's more and more people moving towards probiotics, which is great. And this, this show certainly supports. So, so do you have any uh, tips or tricks for, for folks who are working um, large scale, things they might want to consider when moving towards and considering compost teas? Yeah, I do. So the first thing I would say is most people think they need to brew more tea than they actually do. Uh, five gallons will cover up to a quarter acre per application. And uh, a 50-gallon brewer like the one that Tim Wilson makes uh, will cover up to two and a half acres per application. So it's large enough for most commercial applications. And we can put take that 50 gallons of finished tea and then put it into, say, a, a larger uh, a larger reservoir that may hold 200 gallons of total water and add 150 gallons of dechlorinated water to that as a way of getting an even application. I don't like to put the tea out through uh, a fertigation or irrigation system because of the risk of uh, biofilm buildup inside the tubing. Mm. Uh, Try to avoid putting bacteria and other things into into these systems uh, because they would require a lot of flushing. And could be a potential issue, so it's something that you do need to uh, to figure out how you're going to apply. And it might be as simple as putting a sump pump into a reservoir and literally walking around with your thumb over the end of a hose. So it doesn't have to be high tech. Um, in addition to that, it's it, it just it, it's a great option for larger farmers and growers because it becomes really affordable and it's it's a lot more portable to put out uh, compost tea than it is to say be shoveling all this compost all around your property uh, especially if you have acreage or are on a larger scale yeah it sounds like it would save a lot of backbreaking work just you know taking the most important parts of it putting it into a fluid and delivering it with with a hose versus a wheelbarrow <laughs> Yes, yes. Right on, right on. So, Tad, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for being on the show, and especially thank you so much for taking part in all three shows. This three-part series has been uh, really educational, both for me and for the, you know, for the audience, based on the fantastic supportive emails we've been getting about, about having you on the show. So thanks for being here and sharing your experience. Oh, Shango, I really appreciate it. Um, I'd love to just sign off with a couple of links for people that are, if they're interested in learning more. Yeah, please do. Um, some there's I'm putting up information on our website at kisorganics.com. I have a hobby site called gardeningwithmicrobes.com where I have a few different articles on compost tea. Uh, if you go to logicalgardener.org, that's a forum that Tim Wilson and I share that has a bunch of great information on compost tea and natural gardening. And then lastly, Tim Wilson's site, Microbe Organics. Has, uh, has a lot of great info as well. So there's, there's a ton of good information out there for people who want to learn more. Uh, Jeff Lowenfeld's book, Team with Microbes, is a wonderful resource as well. So I hope more and more people will, will turn towards this style of, of gardening and growing, and uh, I'm excited to see what the future holds. Fantastic. That's all great information. And, and, and again, Tad, thanks for uh, sticking with me through this uh, respiratory infection that I've got today. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you were a, a, a podcast uh, guest pro at this point so that you could help carry the show today. <laughs> well, I hope you start feeling better. Right on. Thanks a lot. 
You can find out more about Tad Hussey and Keep It Simple Organics on their website at kisorganics.com. You can also view Tad's entire presentation at Canacon Seattle this winter in the video section of the gontrepreneur.com website. If you missed the first two parts of this three-part series, you can go ahead and also find those in the podcast section of the gontrepreneur.com website. Uh, the first episode was on uh, nutrient teas, and the second was on building your own soil. You can find more episodes with other guests of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section at Gontrepreneur.com and also in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at Gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Today's show was produced by Michael Rowe. I'm your host, Shango Lose.